0: Good morning. The Word of God is proclaimed from the book of Haggai, chapter 1. If you're not familiar with Haggai, if you missed Haggai in your Bible, it's probably because it's only one page. In my Bible, the entire book is one page. So in the midst of 39 Old Testament books, we have books that have entire chapters that are bigger than the entire book of Haggai. Haggai's prophetic ministry lasted for a grand total of four months. That's how long the Lord spoke to him to speak to the people. So we're going to read from the book of Haggai, and I want to invite you to read the book of Haggai this week. And next week, we will finish the book of Haggai. Two weeks, two chapters, one book of the Bible. And Haggai is speaking during the same time period, that the book of Ezra was written. So the last month we've been preaching from the book of Ezra and we are within the same timeline when the book of Ezra was written and God was calling his people to rebuild their temple. So without further ado, I'm reading from Haggai from the English Standard Version. Chapter one, verse one. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So Haggai is going to begin by speaking to the civil leader, the governor, Zerubbabel, and he's speaking to their religious leader, the high priest, who is Joshua. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So God hears what the people are saying and the people are saying, it's not time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your luxurious paneled houses? while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You close yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in to a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called you for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheetiel and and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. You just read half a book of the Bible. Well done. That's good work on a Sunday morning. what do you do at church? Well, we read half a book of the Bible. And then here's a a word from the Lord Jesus from Matthew 6, verses 31 through 33. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is the word of the Lord. The title of our message this morning is Building Together with the Right Priorities. Last week before our worship service, I was checking in on a church member. I knew that they had been sick and I ran into one of their family members. And I assumed that because this person was sick and that they had missed school and they had missed work, that they would be skipping our Sunday morning worship service to catch up on school and work, because I know that those are priorities. And I said to the family member, well, I guess they're not here today. Their family member said this to me, you'll see them, they're here. We don't miss church. Worship is a priority. What are your priorities? What don't you miss? You won't miss a game. You never miss a family gathering. What would you deem to be most important in your life? This morning, the fact that you didn't miss worship is an indicator that God is a priority to you. If the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that returning to school is good. School ought to be a priority. Returning to work is good. Work ought to be a priority. Family walks, family talks, family time, they're all good things and they ought to be priorities. Recreation clubs and teams are good and ought to be enjoyed. Thank God for the good things. I believe that after the year we had last year, we see more clearly that we are surrounded by good things and we thank God for all the good things. But remember this, you can have too much of a good thing. When we have too much of a good thing, when our lives are full and busy with so many Good things, we tend to neglect the best things. That good things actually stand in the way of the best things. When our lives are too full or too busy with good things, the good things keep us from making the best things our most urgent priorities. We tend to prioritize the good things over. God's things. Isn't that interesting? That God can give you all these good things and in the midst of the good things, you forget the one who has blessed you with all those good things. I remember hearing a testimony from a teenager who I walked with for about five or, or six years. And, and this young man is, is a wonderful young man. And I had the opportunity to get to know him through our youth group. His life was soccer, and he he loved soccer. His identity was in his capacity to perform at a high level for his high school soccer team. His junior year in high school, you know what happened to him? You can guess, he was cut from the soccer team. He was devastated. In his testimony, he said he went outside behind his house and he was asking God, why God? He was weeping the the loss of, of this spot, this position on a team. And during his testimony, his senior year in high school, he said that losing this good thing was the best thing that ever happened to him. Because if he was still playing soccer, God would not have been a priority. Oh, and interestingly enough, he wasn't good enough for his high school team. He made God a priority, and now he's playing college soccer. Isn't that interesting how that works? Let me give you another bit, a little testimony from friends of ours. Friends of ours for about seven years struggled with infertility. And, and God, they 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 had they were people of faith, people who 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 loved the Lord, they would say that. They couldn't understand. Why wouldn't God give them a baby? And they struggled and struggled to, to have a child. And then finally, after years and years of waiting, they gave birth to it to their first child. And The mother of this child gave a testimony. She said, looking back in time, that if God had given her this child years in advance, she would have forgotten God. That God never would have been a priority because she had already gotten what she wanted from God. Instead, she grew in her faith and God became a priority. I want to thank God this morning that we're coming out of this pandemic I thank God for the news that that we received um, from the National Institute of Health that the vaccines are working. Thank God for our scientists, for those who dedicated themselves to that work. Thank God that things are opening up. Thank God that little by little things are returning to normal again. My prayer for you as things open up and things return to normal, that you will learn once again, my two year old's favorite word for her daddy. No, I wanna, lift up a prayer for you that you will learn to say no. I pray that you will learn to say no to good things. I pray that you learn to say no so you can make God and God's work a priority. If you want success in life, you don't need to make God a priority. I want to be very, very clear. If you want cultural success in life, you don't need to make God your priority. If you want success at an educational level, you don't need God to to make God a priority. Many people do well in school without God. If you want to be successful in business, you don't need to make God a priority. Many people who don't know the Lord, who don't believe in the Lord, are successful in business. You can be successful without God. But if you want to live a life of significance, you need to make God a priority. If you want your life to be one of significance, eternal significance... You need to make God a priority. Our culture values success. What we're after as Christians is significance. You want to leave a legacy for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren that is honoring and pleasing to God? Now is the day to make God your most important and urgent priority. This is not coming from a place of fear. I don't know how you grew up, what type of church you grew up in, Some of you have shared some of your religious uh, upbringings with me. I want to hear about how you were raised in the faith, all of you, as as we open up. But some of you have religious upbringings where they used fear to scare you into doing things for God. They, They threatened you or they used guilt to scare you into coming to church or scare you into serving the Lord. We're not going to do that this morning. It's one thing I like about being Presbyterian. Why make God a priority? Why make God the the most important and most urgent thing in your life? Think about this. You're God's priority. You know how important you are to God? Do you know how urgent it was for God to have a relationship with you? You understand how much God loves you? Here's how we know what priorities are, by what we give. Where you give your time, your talent, and your treasure. You can say to me, God's a priority, but let's just see where you're giving time talent and treasure by what you give the same holds true for god and this is how we know that that we are god's priority for god so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life a relationship with you was of the most importance and urgency to god and that's why he gave his one and only son for your salvation You're a priority to God. He is mindful of you. He has counted every hair on your head. He sees both your coming and your going when you sit and when you stand. This is how much God loves you. This is what God has given for you. He sacrificed His very life because you, your salvation, your life, eternal life, raising you from the death of our trespasses and our sin into eternal life was such a priority. So we make God a priority in light of the fact that He has made us a priority. As Christians, that's where we come from. It's not to win God over. It's because God has won us over. It's not to earn God's love. It's because God has so loved us so perfectly and wonderfully. In light of true love, love stronger than death, in light of real love, in light of relentless love, unconditional love and care of God, we just want to serve Him. We just want people to know Him. We wanna worship Him and know Him ourselves. So that's where we come from in making God a priority. He first made us a priority. So over the past three weeks, we've been looking at the Old Testament book of Ezra. And as you know, the book of Ezra begins in 538 BC. That's a long time ago. And when the people of God return to Jerusalem, they make rebuilding the temple their top priority. They make the worship of God their top priority they're sacrificing to God they're celebrating God they're gathering together for worship the carpenters and the masons they give their talent to build the kingdom of God the people who have financial resources they give of their treasure to build the kingdom of God they take aside time to go to Jerusalem to worship God and to celebrate the holy days time talent and treasure to build God's house to do God's work So we know it was their top priority, not based on what they said, but based on what they gave. And as we saw last week in chapter 4, they faced great opposition. For about 16 years, they abandoned their top priority. Their priorities changed. We read about it in the book of Haggai. They ceased to work on the house of the Lord in order to decorate, renovate, build their dream homes. And I'm not big on judging and condemning people and thinking the worst of people. I don't think that they did it on purpose. I don't think that they went out and said, today is the day that we're going to disobey God. Today is the day that we're going to put the work of the Lord on the back burner. I don't think that's what happened. I think slowly but surely, they simply drifted away. That's the thing about drifting away. You're drifting away and you don't even know that you're drifting away. They were distracted by... Good things. They were busy with good things. They drifted into a life of good things while neglecting God's things. Has that ever happened to you? You drifted into a life where you were preoccupied with the good things while neglecting the best things, God's things? You're so focused on buying what you want that you can only give the leftover crumbs to God. You're so obsessed with schoolwork and work that you put off the Lord's work. You had good intentions. Your heart was in the right place, but days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months turned into years, and before you knew it, you were drifting away for 16 years. This is what happened in the book of Haggai. They drifted away from God for 16 years. And the word of the Lord comes to the prophet Haggai for the people. And as we read, God starts by repeating a popular saying. The popular saying is, is not one in which they say, we'll never rebuild God's temple. We're done serving God. No, no, no. They don't, they don't say that. They still plan on doing the work of the Lord. But here's their saying. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The time has not yet come to rebuild. They're not saying we'll never rebuild. It's just that now's not the season in our life where we ought to be serving God. We have so much other things going on. As a boy, I was the king of putting off mom and dad's work. Clean your room. I don't have time. Mow the lawn tomorrow. Do your homework. I'm busy. Did you do your homework? Not yet. Not yet. I don't have time. Tomorrow, I'm busy. Tomorrow, later, not now. The time has not yet come. Here's something that's interesting. In the midst of all those, the time has not yet come. I always had time to watch the Yankees win all those World Series. I always had time to go out with my friends. I had time to play sports and games. I had time to do everything that I wanted to do, yet I didn't have time to complete the tasks that my parents were telling me to do. Here's something that I've learned about people, not just Christians, all people. We find time to do what we want. We make excuses to put off what we don't want. And they're saying in that day was, um, the time has not yet come. I was listening to Francis Chan, who's a pastor. He said today, when when Christians don't wanna do something, we have a saying, I'll pray about it. Can you lead a connect group? I'll pray about it. Can you serve at Bridgeport Rescue Mission? I'll pray about it. Can you help restart children's ministry? I'll pray about it. Can we watch the Yankees? It's already on. Can you come over to my barbecue? I'm coming hungry. Can you play golf today? I'm playing. Isn't it interesting? I didn't have to pray about any of the things that I wanted to do. And by the way, all the things that I wanted to do, none of them were commanded by Jesus Christ for me to do in Scripture. But the things that Jesus actually commanded us to do in Scripture, I have to pray about it. I can't commit to that. So I'm non-committal on the commands of Christ, yet I'm committal when it comes to doing what I want. As things are opening up, As the vaccines are working and we're returning to normal life commit to the Lord commit to the work of the Lord prioritize the work of the Lord how can I do that prioritize joining a connect group or a a Bible study prioritize volunteering on Sunday mornings prioritize rebuilding children's and youth ministry get involved in summer outreach events and local mission opportunities make God a top priority. And not with words, but with actions, with practical steps. Obey in the physical and in the practical. We're done with non-committal through religious and spiritual jargon. And this is what happens in the scriptures. In the scriptures, they obey. That's why Haggai's ministry is so short. How could he only preach for four years when we have Jeremiah and Isaiah preaching for decades and decades? Well, he only had a talk for four months because the people obeyed. Do you know what they did? When they heard the word of the Lord, they, the word of the Lord, get rebuilding, now's the time. They left their houses and they they went up the mountainside and they started cutting down trees for wood and timber and they brought it down to rebuild the house of the Lord. They just obeyed. It's that simple. Obedience doesn't have to be this great thing. And there's time for prayer, but there's time for action. And if God has already said it in the word, in his word, you don't have to pray about it. You can just do it. And so they go up to the hills in verses 8 and 9, and they bring wood and build the house. God tells them to do it, that he may take pleasure in it, and that he may be glorified. And he says, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. When they were putting themselves first and putting their agendas first, God blew it away. God wouldn't prosper them in that place of disobedience. And you may wonder how could god blow it away it was hard enough resettling in this new in their homeland god can't prosper you in disobedience because if he prospers you in your disobedience you'll stay there if you're prospering in the midst of confused priorities it's not god who's prospering you if you're distracted and you're busy with good things too busy for god god sometimes will frustrate your plans to get your attention sometimes god will use a storm to bring you back to God that the worst thing that God can do in the midst of disobedience and running away is blessing you because if he blesses you in that place you'll stay in that place if they have their barns filled with with grains and and new wines you know what the people of God would have done they would have built new barns if they were making out financially instead of building the house of the Lord they could have re-renovated their already renovated homes right But God brings them into a time of scarcity and need and emptiness in order so that they will reprioritize God and put God first. And they do. And they build the house of the Lord. And God says, I am with you. In verse 13, He says, I am with you. He stirs up their spirit. He gives them the Holy Spirit. And they came and they worked on the house of God. And the impact was not just for them, but it was for the future generations that they would meet with the Lord in the temple. They would have a relationship with God through the temple, through worship, but their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren and the generations to come would know the Lord because they were willing to make God a priority. They were willing to seek God first. That's living a life of significance, a life that perhaps the world wouldn't call successful, but is successful in God's eyes. And so the challenge is is this, in light of the fact that God has been faithful to you, in light of the fact that you were significant enough in God's eyes for Him to go to the cross, in light of the fact that you have been loved and that God has sacrificed for you, how can you make God a priority daily, practically, that give God your first and your best? How is God calling you to build His kingdom? How can you seek first His kingdom This week, we were God's priority. A relationship with God is the best thing. Building God's kingdom is the first thing. It's time for us to make God our top priority. Amen.